just kidding. I'm definitely not the perfect mom. My kid was the one who said that I torture him. So take this with a grain of salt. I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so I wrote this blog and sent it to Mark, and it's called Drained and Drawn, Not Just for Moms. If you've been a mom or a human for more than five whole seconds, you've probably heard the buzz term self-care. I mean, I love a good old pun or, or catchphrase, but there does come a point where the fun wears off and the sentiment left behind becomes a new standard. It turns into a reel played over and over in my head and a consistent reminder of my shortcomings. Self-care is such a great concept, but comes with more issues than Vogue. I don't know about you, but if you want to do some self if you want to do self-care, I have to plan on getting a babysitter, make a list of snacks and meals to feed them, work out naps or when they can watch TV, and the list goes on. At a minimum, I'm rushing to get home because I don't want to waste time and let's be honest, money either. You know the drill. Then all of the relaxation is out the window and I'm elbows deep in dirty dishes again. It can become so easy to get swallowed up in motherhood, to lose myself and the daily requirements to keep my family simply going. But here's the thing. You don't have to be a mom to experience these things. We all have our own wilderness of sorts. Those places, those jobs, relationships, expectations, requirements, etc., that can drain us. Can, they can also be the most fulfilling places of all. But let me tell you, it is not because of what we do. In 1 Kings 19, 4 through 15, Elijah is the last good guy left. In fact, he has a bounty on his head. Jezebel is fired up and lets him know that she is after him. In fact, she tells him, within 24 hours, you're dead. Obviously, this is me paraphrasing, as the Bible is way better. And please go read the story. It is a phenomenal story that is full of so many things, but... When you read it, like really truthfully pray that the Lord will speak to you as you read it because there are so many things that you could miss. Okay, so he hightails it to the wilderness, okay? So this is not a lush wilderness. It's no Chester Frost Park, that's for sure. Think of a desert. It's hot. It's barren. It's the desert, okay? Like this is not something you're going to see a billboard for, like come to the wilderness. There's nothing there but, you know, death. Yeah, it's all dried up. The sun is scorching. Good luck finding water. Okay, so anyway, um, so he is exhausted. Elijah is exhausted, and who can blame him? He asks God, just take my life because he's the only good left, and he seems to be over it. Can you relate? But he falls asleep, and an angel wakes him to feed him. This happens twice to Elijah. The second time, though, the food sustains him for 40 days and 40 nights, and he sets out to Horeb, the mount of God. The Lord tells him, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Suddenly, there's a strong wind. Think of a tornado, but the Lord wasn't in that. Then there was an earthquake, but God was not in that either. Next came a fire. Y'all, the mountain is on fire, okay? But God was not in that. Then Elijah heard a low whisper. He covered his face with his cloak, and he went out to God, where, he had a, where they had a sweet moment together. A few verses down in 15a, the Lord says, and don't miss this, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. See, the thing is, in that wilderness is right where God sustained him, restored him, and gave him rest. Okay, stay with me. If we hop over to Luke 10, 38 through 42, where our friends Mary and Martha reside. The Bible says that Martha welcomed him, Jesus, into her home. 
her sister Mary was already in the house. Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his teaching. Verse 40 says, Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me then. Okay, isn't that interesting too? Side note that she assumes that God's going to agree, that Jesus is going to agree with her um, by saying, well, then go tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, Jesus replied, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away. Okay. I don't know about you, but I can easily take out Martha's name and put mine there. In fact, I would encourage you to do that because the Lord still says the same thing to us. Christina, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Even the good things like serving can be a distraction, but one, one thing is necessary. It's Jesus. Today, I hope that you see our wilderness, our exhausted places, serving places, and homes are just places without the Lord. But he meets us right where we are. He changes the wilderness to a life-giving rest. He puts serving second to being with him. He whispers our name to draw us to him. He settles our chaos. He restores us in the most unlikely places. But we must go. We must walk out of the cave and cease the serving to be with him first. He is the giver and sustainer of life. So next time you hear self-care, may it serve as a reminder that the best care comes from sitting at the feet of Jesus or returning to the wilderness to be with him. Very well said, Christina. Um, Good morning. I'm Tracy. Um, So glad to see the mothers that are here today. I want to celebrate you and bless you. Uh, And those that are joining us online, thank you for being here. Um, But I also want to acknowledge that today, Mother's Day, is not easy for everyone. Um, For some, it is a day of grief and pain as they manage losses. Loss of time, loss of hope, loss of relationships due to estrangement or uh, complicated relationships, um, loss of potential life, uh, loss of life itself. Um, There's a lot of life going on over there, (laughs) I'm just realizing. (laughs) Like, I'm hearing screaming, is that just me? Um, Love our kids, (laughs) and apparently they're having a great time. Um, But, uh, yeah, so today is trying to be somber here. Um, no, today is just, it's not an easy day for everyone. And I just wanted to take a moment together uh, to acknowledge that. Uh, the Bible says that uh, to pray um, or to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Um, and I think as God's people, we can do that uh, simultaneously. Um, so we're going to take a moment of silence together uh, just to acknowledge, stand in solidarity, and pray for those that are hurting today on Mother's Day. Um, I know silence makes us uncomfortable sometimes, um, but it's a good time to acknowledge that that God is present. God was present in the silence of Holy Saturday when the disciples were reeling from the death of Christ and wondering what to believe and what was next. Um, And he's present with us in our pain as we wait um, for children, as we wait for uh, reconciliation, and as we wait for his return. 
So would you take a moment with me and just sit in silence and then I'll close us in prayer. God, you are very present with us. You're present with those who are hurting this morning. You're present with those who are empathetic. God, when one part of your body is hurting, we all hurt. These are our hurts and our losses. God, we just ask in this, uh, in this moment, in this thinking of silence, God, that you would remind us that you are always present with us. Our names are engraved on the palms of your hands, and our walls are ever before you. You have not forsaken us, Lord. And those that are um, those that are mourning this morning, those that are waiting and hoping, those who have maybe even lost hope, God, you are with them. We are with them. We are we are in this together. God, you are the nurturing and loving. God that wants to draw us to to yourself and we thank you that because of you giving your life Jesus that we can have life it's in your name that we pray amen all right well thank you Christina and Tracy and I so appreciate their transparency and openness and willingness to think about people um, in all different places in life, the, rea- whoops. the reality is none of our lives can be summed up on a postcard or a greeting card. Life is rarely a nonstop laugh fest. There are good days and there are hard days, but there are greeting card moments. And so it's important that we remember those, and um, it's important that we recognize that not everyone is in the same place this Mother's Day, but I do have some things I want to share with you this morning, and we're going to look at one verse. So uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 16, verse 13, and really, that's the only verse we're going to be looking at. Some of you are thinking, we got out of bed for one verse, and yes, you did, and it's going to be worth it. Um, But Romans 16, verse 13 says... Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. So I want to talk with you in just a few minutes about mothering, about the importance of moms, about Paul, and what this was, why this was important to him. But I was thinking through what, how do we describe what moms do? I have been married to a mom for 20 years. Uh, And I've learned a thing or two, but I came across a blog that I thought I would read for you to just say 15 things that moms do. This was written by Annie Renault, and it was posted at a blog that many of our moms know called Scary Mommy. This is what she said. 
This is what she said. I've determined that I'm a special breed of superhero because I have powers no one else in my house possesses. At my house, I am evidently the only human who can do the following. Number one, replace the toilet paper roll. Maybe my family members haven't mastered the push and pull trick of the toilet paper roll holder, or perhaps they're afraid of pinching their fingers, but really, this isn't rocket science. And FYI, leaving two sheets of paper on the roll to avoid having to change it is cheating. Anyone guilty of that, right? Number two, things that only a mom can do. Throw away food wrappers. <laughs> All the mothers are uh, that you are associating with this right now, aren't you? Throw away food wrappers, muffin wrappers, cheese stick wrappers in particular. I usually find them on the kitchen counter within eight inches of the garbage can. Number three, throw away paper scraps. Let's make snowflakes. No, wait. I bet you pay me a quarter for every paper scrap you didn't pick up. That's going to be a gazillionaire. Number four things that only moms can do, throw away or recycle empty food containers. Half the time they get left on the counter, and the other half they end up back in the refrigerator. Ooh, I'm some feeling some, there's no shame. No shame here today, but we can do better, right? Number five, throw away or recycle anything, really. <laughs> this isn't just my family, right? The garbage is right there, barely three steps from any spot in the kitchen. Number six, notice that the garbage can or recycling is overflowing. I can only assume this is related to the inability to throw anything away. I think I'm literally the only person in the family who can see garbage at all. It's like a really sucky superpower. <laughs> Number seven, hang a hand towel back up. <laughs> my four-year-old gets a pass because he can't reach the ring in the bathroom everyone else can suck it up pick it up and hang it up except they never do number eight hang a bath towel up see number seven <laughs> number nine get clothes actually into the hamper tossing dirty clothes on the floor right in front of the hamper is just mean seriously it's right there all the moms are giggling. No one else is. No one else is. <laughs> Put dirty dishes in the dishwasher. It's what the... <laughs> you're going you're to put this on repeat, aren't you? You're going to put this on and repeat in your house. You're going to blast it throughout your house, right? I get it. Put dirty dishes in the dishwasher. It's what the blessed contraption is for. It even says so right there in the name. <laughs> A trained monkey could recognize a dirty dish and put it in the dishwasher. Why is this befuddling? Number 11. <laughs> Number 11, the, another superpower that only moms can do. Answer questions. I appreciate that you seem to think I know everything, but really, you come into the other room to ask me a question when your father was standing right there. It's possible these exact words have been uttered in my household. Give him a chance. I'm sure he knows almost as much as I do. Probably not, but maybe. Number 12, only things moms can do. Find things that are missing throughout the house. My people, <laughs> my people seem to think that looking for something they can't find means standing in one spot, desperately complaining that they can't find it. Also happens in our house. And apparently yours too. 
All right, number 13, things that only moms can do. Find food that's right there on the shelf in the refrigerator. They also think that looking for something in the fridge means standing with the open door in one hand while waiting for the item to spontaneously fall into the other. Oh, that's good. All right, two more. 14, only things only mom can do. Find food in the door of the refrigerator. This should theoretically be easier, shouldn't it? It's right there in the door. No, the door, that thing you're holding with your hand. (laughs) You can just imagine that poor Annie deals with this on a daily basis. And number 15, things only moms can do. Kiss boo-boos to make them all better. Okay, this one is pretty legit though I'm sure daddy's lips have almost as much magic as mine. I know I'm irreplaceable as a mom and all, but I'm 99.78% sure I'm not the only one capable of doing the things on the list. Am I the only mom with seemingly indomitable superpowers? No, Annie, you are not. Um, We are so thankful for our moms and for you that are here today. And this Mother's Day, unlike other Mother's Day, follows a pandemic in which you have been taxed and stretched, and this has been a difficult year, especially for our moms with little kids, because you have not been able to escape them. And as much as we love them, there are times we need to escape our kids. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. And you have not for a year been able to do that. I've talked to many of you, we've walked through some difficult times with some of you, and we know that this is a year that is unlike any other. So I am encouraged by how hard not only you have worked for your families, but you have continued to keep it together as a person. We sometimes forget moms actually have other lives other than being a mom, don't we? We sometimes think that's all they do. When I was a kid, my mom reminds me that I always wanted to be a pastor because I felt like the pastor only worked for two days of the week, on Sundays and on Wednesdays. And at some point, they had a little room in the church that they just wheeled him back, put him in the room, and when it was time for the next service, they just wheeled him back out. He did his thing. We often think that moms do that too. In addition, a lot of our moms are working moms. I feel like I can relate to a working mom because I think working moms and bivocational pastors have a lot of similarities. One being, they never feel like they do either one well. Y'all ever struggle with that? I live with a working mom where she has a full-time job at home and a full-time job at work and at the same time, as Christina mentioned, trying to provide some self-care somewhere along the way, which is really what the rest of the family is there for, too. You all have homeschooled, you have wiped noses, you have dealt with never-ending questions while trying to maintain your own livelihoods. Pew Research did some studies based on how are moms doing during the pandemic year, and they discovered some some. St- startling and some not so startling things one thing they found is that new moms moms that had babies in the last year have really been struggling if you know a new mom who has a baby you know one of the most wonderful outings that i still remember each of our kids outings when 
we, someone kept a baby and we first got to leave the house with just the two of us. I remember those. Usually it's a grandparent or it's a sibling, you know, not you're like they're the baby sibling, but hopefully not the baby sibling, but like the parent sibling or a really good friend who says, you need a break, you go out. And for the first time you get to huddle up you and your spouse and you get to go out and then not know what to do with yourself. It's a glorious moment. It's a glorious thing that new moms have not many been able to experience this year. Postpartum depression is up. Discouragement is up. Unsurprising, Pew Research did a study also on homeschooling. The number of parent of, uh, or the percentage of parents that felt like homeschooling who were dual income families um, where the responsibility fell. I've got a little graphic here from Pew Research. Teleworking moms were about twice as likely as dads to say they had a lot of childcare duties while working. I can tell you, Deidre has done a lot in trying to school um, Jake. No, not Jake. <laughs> Malia. Jake's in college. He can handle himself. Um, but we, while we split those duties, there's no doubt in our house the mom takes the lion's share of those duties. And they found... Pew Research found that 26% of teleworking parents said that they have to spend a lot of time doing those. Of that 26%, only 16% were dads, but 36 were moms. So they're not only working and trying to take care of the household and trying to take care of themselves, they're now school teachers. All are things that they are doing. I know a lot of you moms. I've watched a lot of you. We have some really incredible moms in our church. You guys sacrificially give regularly. I have a superstar in my own house, and those of you who know Deidre know she's a superstar. Um, this week has been, it's been different this week, but it's really not been different. It's like regularly this way. Deidre is a, a full-time director of a program at Siskin. She's also a full-time uh, wife and mother. We had a family emergency this week with her extended family that required kind of an all-hands-on-deck response from all of us. And so in addition to juggling her normal activities in which she's juggling, she's also going and helping, working online, talking to her boss, making sure everything's okay, making sure we're okay, even though I actually am a fully functioning adult. You may not always know that, and I may not always give that impression. I am a fully functioning adult, but yet moms feel the need to care for everybody, and so she did that as well. This weekend comes, and we have taken care of all the things for our moms, because we are blessed to still have our moms with us. I know not everyone in the room or who is watching can say that, but we are blessed that we still are able to do that. So again, taking time away from work and family and things that have to be done and caring for family emergencies. We are spending time taking care of our moms. This morning, it just was another great picture. So I, on Sunday mornings, am up or before anyone else. I'm usually gone before anybody gets up. And I woke up this morning to the sound of child breathing. Now, if you have children that have ever slept in your house, you know they breathe different. They move different. There's a sound. And at first I'm like, why is Deidre breathing? Is she dying? Is she in respiratory distress? Because that's what a child breathing sounds like when they're sleeping, right? 
They also move around and kick and, and make all kinds of erratic motions. I'm like, what is wrong with her? So I get up to make sure she's not dying. And our youngest is, as is not unusual, has a pallet on the floor next to our bed, and it's her that I hear breathing. I think, why are you here? I can usually figure these things out. We haven't watched anything scary. We didn't have a terrible thing happen. But here you are. And then beside her is a bowl, and every parent knows what that means. Sometime in the middle of the night... There was a need for her to come down and a need for a mother to care for their child and a father, fully capable, sleeping right next to her who didn't notice any of it. And so (laughs) after this incredibly busy, difficult, exhausting week, on the night she's sleeping before Mother's Day, she's caring for a sick child who was actually not sick, not sure what happened there, because she's here. You all are okay. She's not sick. (laughs) And to ensure that we had child care covered this morning, she is in one of our classrooms caring for some of those screaming kids, which is a beautiful sound to hear for us because we're not in the room with those screaming kids. The reality is Deidre is an incredible mom. So many of you are too. All of you are. It's something that we hold someone up on a pedestal, and moms have this innate ability to say, man, she is so good at that, while missing how good they themselves are. It's like there's a switch that goes on in their head that makes them forget all the good things that they do and remember all the bad when all of our moms are superstars. Deidre and I have both been blessed to have strong, believing moms who taught us from the time we were born how important it was to know Jesus. They drug us to church even when we didn't want to go. They created for us a foundation in which it's followed through in us today. Our faith might not be here if it were for our parents. I'm thankful for those things. So I've got one verse I've still got to cover, right? I thought what I would do, I was just, I am am a naturally curious person. I thought, why do we do this Mother's Day thing? Not why do we honor mothers. I know why we do that. But why do we do a Mother's Day celebration where we do flowers and cards and, and gifts and all those things? And so I looked it up. Do you know when Mother's Day started? I bet you don't because I didn't either. Mother's Day is, is about, it's a little over 200 years old now, or 100 years old now, a little over 100 years old now. It started out of the Civil War, and it's really an incredible story when we go back and look. The founder of Mother's Day, once it started, spent the rest of her life trying to stop it. It's a really fascinating story on the origin of Mother's Day, and there's three primary women that are responsible for for this, and um, I have their pictures. They do look old, amazingly uh, you know, we're talking about a hundred years difference between the picture on your iPhone 12 Pro and this one. That was a hundred years ago. Can you imagine what's going to happen in another hundred years? Like, we won't even take pictures. We'll just transport somewhere. I don't know what it's going to be like in the next hundred years. This is this is Anne uh, Reeves Jarvis. And Anne grew up in the 1800s. She lived through the Civil War. And she grew up in 
West Virginia in an area we call Appalachia. For those of you who have moved here, it is not Appalachia. It is Appalachia. If you struggle to remember how to say Appalachia, think of me having an apple and throwing it, guess where? At ya. So um, picture Appalachia is how we say it. Appalachia is typically an area that has been very poor, undereducated, an area that has struggled, while not always that. If you go to North Carolina, Virginia, or West Virginia, you'll actually find that they are some of the most diverse states in our country, where you have some great wealth, but you have great poverty, and you have parts of the state that are completely different than other parts. So if you live in one part of the state, it is completely different than another part of the state, even though, for the most part, you go anywhere in Tennessee, we're all Tennesseans. But these states are a little different. In West Virginia, Ann Reeves Jarvis began working and trying to bring moms together because in the Civil War, the men and the children went off to fight, and the women had to watch them do it. Whenever they left, they had to do all the duties that they did before, and then they had to do all the duties of the men who had gone to fight, which means they had to run the farm, they had to run the business, they had to take care of the household. In addition, they had to take care of the men who were fighting, which means they were nurses, and they would go and bring supplies. Some women became spies in the Civil War. It's really a fascinating thing to go back and look at all the things that happened. Some really profound, famous women came out of this time, like Harriet Tubman, who began rescuing slaves and eventually became a spy for the North uh, as she would go down to the South, as she was uh, doing the slave underground and pulling out different slaves out of the South and bringing them to the North where they could be free. Dorothea Dix was the superintendent of the nurses for the Union. She created the first mental asylums because she believed in caring for those who were mentally ill. Another woman, Harriet Beecher Stowe, who you all have probably read at some time or another, wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, where she illuminated what it looks like to really be a slave in this world. Clara Barton was a Civil War nurse, and she started the American Red Cross out of this effort and would later say, that during the, the Civil War actually advanced women in society a good 50 years into the future because of all the ways that they had to contribute and hold things together during the Civil War. Well, eventually the Civil War would end, and then you had moms who were Confederate and moms who were Union, and they wouldn't have anything to do with each other. In addition, you'll remember, she was in West Virginia where there's great poverty and, a, and not a whole lot of education. And so she began creating these workshops in which she would bring moms together and teach them how to create a sanitary home and how to care for their kids. And she proposed and worked to help bring moms together and to reunite them in the common bond of motherhood, even if their husbands and sons fought on different sides. This was happening in West Virginia. Shortly after that, happening up in Boston, Massachusetts, was another woman by the name of Julia Ward Howe, who was also a poet and a reformer. She held Mother's Day workshops in which she fought for peace. It was an activist movement in which she tried to help others see the, the great damages of war. Interestingly, we have not had a war on the 
on American soil since the Civil War. You could say something like 9-11 was an act of war, but we have not actually felt it to this degree since the mid-1800s and the Civil War. So she began working hard to push back so that we wouldn't have any more war and mothers would be taken care of. And they began celebrating in Boston a Mother's Day that lasted for 30 years. This is the woman that wrote the Battle Hymn of the Republic. It was incredibly influential, but it wasn't until Anne Reeves Jarvis died that her daughter, Anna Marie Jarvis, decided she wanted to honor her mother. She wanted to honor all the work she had done in bringing them together, honor all her work in caring and over, taking over duties in the community that had to be taken care of, educating young moms on how to care for their kids. She saw the great work that her mother had done and the work that they had tried to create to recognize the great contribution of moms all over our country. So in 1907, they held the very first Mother's Day service to honor her mother after her mother's death in West Virginia. It was so influential and powerful that the next year they held another one for all mothers. The mayor of Philadelphia, which is where Anna Jarvis lived, saw it, took, went to Washington and said, we need to do this. We need to honor moms all over the place. And so they made a National Mother's Day that every state the next year had a celebrated Mother's Day. That was in 1908. Two years later, in 1910, they would feel like men were missing out. That's where Father's Day started. Interestingly, at, towards the end of her life, Anna Marie Jarvis hated Mother's Day because it, in her mind, ceased to be the place where we honor the contributions of women and moms in the country and instead became just another commercial holiday where we buy things. So she would spend the rest of her life trying to end it, interestingly. You know, the reality is that a card in flowers that is representative of what Mother's Day is is incomplete in our ability to honor the, the contribution of women all around us. It's a wonderful sentiment, and we should absolutely honor them. But if we do it once a year, shame on us. The contribution to us the contribution to our friends, to our kids, is significant, which brings me to Paul and this one verse that we still haven't gotten to. Romans 16, 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Now, why, are we, why am I reading this verse to you today? This comes at the end of Romans. It's a time where Paul is just recognizing people who have been important to him. He's basically calling out his friends and influential people who have been in his life, but he says this thing about Rufus's mom. Now, you don't know who Rufus is, but we know who Rufus is because Mark the Apostle felt like we should know, and he felt like everyone when he was writing his gospel would know who Rufus was, and you would have had you lived at the time of Rufus because Rufus's dad was Simon the Cyrene. Now, if you don't know who Simon the Cyrene is, Simon the Cyrene was the man who happened to be on the Via Della Rosa as Jesus was being led to his death, and they compelled him, Scripture says, to come and carry Jesus' cross when he couldn't carry it anymore. Rufus was Simon's son. 
which means Rufus's mother, who was also a mother to Paul, was Simon's wife. Now, why would why would Paul say this? My, Jonathan, my loving son, who is um, caring for some kids today, so I hope your kids are all right when you go pick them up. If you know Jonathan, you know why I would say that. The other day when I was talking about images of Jesus and we talked about the European Jesus, mid-sermon, Jonathan sends me a picture of muscle-bound Jesus and says, hey, what about this Jesus? That's the kind of Jonathan, that's the kind of person that I have living in my household. Mid-sermon, he sends me this. So at least I'm glad he was listening. He has informed me that I am number three dad in his life. Number one dad is his good friend's dad, who actually buys him lots of gifts. I think he's angling for my job. I don't know. I found out that there's a number. I used to be number two dad. Now I'm number three dad. I've now found out there's a number two dad, and he's given me a list of things that I can do for him if I would like to go move up in the rankings. Isn't that great of him? The reality is each of us have had mother figures in our life, and they have been important mother figures. Our mothers cannot be replaced, but there's a role that the nurturing, caring environment that a mother brings, we all need, and it never ends. And for Paul, that would be the case too. If we go back and we read, well, why would Paul say this here? Why does he need a mother figure? He has a mother. But what we know about Paul and what we know about Judaism is at the moment in which Paul proclaimed faith in Christ and abandoned his pharisaical ways of persecuting Christianity, he probably lost his family. Scripture tells us his parents, or at least his dad, was a Pharisee, but Scripture literally says he was the son of Pharisees. So either it's gone down the line or somehow his mother was a Pharisee as well. Paul was meant to be the best of the Pharisees. He even says, I did it better than anybody before he found Jesus. And in many religious contexts, at the moment in which you turn away from the family faith, you're disowned. It's very personal. So in all likelihood, Paul, being the son of Pharisees, disappointing them so deeply, was likely disowned. And somewhere along the way, Rufus's mother became a mother to him. Why am I sharing this story with you? The reality is, is that Scripture tells us the image of God cannot be contained in one gender. He created men and women in his image. We often refer to God as a male, but Scripture does not refer to God as a male. But the ancient Hebrew doesn't really have a gender-neutral way to describe him. And so he talks about God in both masculine and feminine traits. Did you know God is described as a father? Of course you do, because that's the primary way we hear about God. But he's also described as a mother. He's also described as one giving birth as, as one who is feeding her young, as a mother bear that's protecting her cubs. Because God is bigger than just the way we define everything. But he put something unique in Adam and he put something unique in Eve that apart from each other, they couldn't even fully in any possible way represent who God was. And even that was no way to fully represent God. God is so much bigger than the ways we try to define him. 
But they have a very special place in the kingdom and a very special place in our hearts. I have no doubt as Paul was growing in his belief. He knew all the texts. He knew all the things that you were supposed to believe as a Jew, but seeing his heart change, I just wonder what all could have happened with Rufus and his household. No doubt when when Simeon went home and spent time with his family, he told them what happened on that road, likely became believers, and Paul found in them a family not to replace, but to care for him there in his time of growth. I believe one of the ways we move forward as a church in these coming months and these coming years is to recognize the great contributions that all people make. And today we recognize the contributions that our mothers have made, but we also recognize how much we need each other to help us grow in this life. Our kids have some really wonderful kind of grandparent friends. They just kind of come in and are like a grandparent to them. Deidre and I have had at different times in our marriage and different times in our child rearing where other parents who have gone before us have come and mentored us and helped us and walked with us. And when we go back and we look through all of Scripture, the way that faith and discipleship is supposed to be passed down from one person to the next. It's not through readings and just listening to a sermon, but it was really mentorship. It was someone who had been there going before someone who hadn't and helping them along the way. And as soon as you knew anything about faith, there was always somebody behind you that you could help along the way too. This is what Paul was thanking Rufus and his mother for in his life. She was there for him, helping him come along, likely, although we don't know this for certain, but probably after losing his own relationship with his mother, which is why Jesus said, you have to love me more than your family. It was not that you should love your family, because especially in Jewish circles, if you abandoned Judaism for Christianity, many families disowned you. So you had to love Jesus more, because you might lose them. Not that you shouldn't love them. He knew this is what was going to happen, and this is probably what happened with Paul. For our moms that are here today, we see the work you do. Quite honestly, we probably see it more than you see it, although that might not be fair to say. I think sometimes moms wish they were recognized more than they are, and it's up to us to do that, whether it's our own mothers or those who are mother figures in our life. There is just something that happens when someone decides to invest in you and to give you the kind of care that we need. Mothers are hurting after a pandemic year, but you offer something special to the rest of us. You offer care and concern. It is really hard to find someone who sacrifices more than a mother for her child. You offer nurturing. You offer encouragement. You listen. You challenge You're there all the time, and if we have to go to a parent, we typically go to mom before we go to dad. It's not because dads aren't caring. It's because dads are different. Deidre and I, we parent differently. It probably doesn't surprise anyone in this room. I, I work to create boundaries within their lives, right? 
I see where I think you should go, and I want you to be prepared to go live on your own, so I'm going to work to create boundaries that will help you have a healthy, healthy work ethic, healthy integrity, healthy character, and sometimes creating those boundaries is painful, and while Deidre works to create those boundaries as well, she recognizes to a higher degree than I do their need for nurture and encouragement, to feel whole and to be able to express themselves. Dads, we often think, I don't really care how you express yourself as long as you can pay your own bills. Amen? (laughs) Women, moms, have a tendency to think deeper about the health of their kids. And I'm not saying dads don't too. We certainly do. But that characteristic is needed, not just with your own children. But this is part of being a church family. This is what we do for each other. Scripture tells us to look up to those who have been there before us, honor our elders. Why? They know a thing or two more than we do. So those of you who have lived some life, we look to you for guidance. We look for you to help us through these difficult times. For those who are starting up, you need someone to come alongside you. If you're just starting to have children, you need to have someone that will be there to care for you. As we grow, we recognize that when someone fills this role in our lives, whether they are our mother or they're someone who was like a mother to us, just as Paul mentioned, we recognize that they're not just their investment in us, but what they mean to us has helped us to become the people that we are. So we say Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers. There are those of you who have taken this mantle of being like a mother to us who may not even have your own children. Your gift is just as strong and as important to us. As you leave today, we do have a vase of roses out here. We don't have a whole uh, lot of folks here today, but you are welcome to drain that thing dry. Take as many roses as you would like. Dads, if you are one of those that's got mentioned and all the blood drained out of your face because you didn't realize this was Mother's Day, you better slip out right now and uh, do what you can to grab a bunch and make it look like a bouquet. <laughs> Go put it in the front seat of the car and say, I had this planned all along, and then you're welcome. Slip me a 20 in my back pocket for that little tidbit, by the way. <laughs> she'll see through it, but because she cares for you, she'll just smile and say thank you. Maybe not. I, I don't want it. Some of our moms, she'll call you out. They will call you out, but we thank you for what you do for us. We thank you for who you are. You are the image of God. You show us a part of the world that only you can show us. You care for us in a way that only you can care for us. Your sacrifice is greater than most of us could ever possibly understand. And My prayer for you is that God will give you even a portion of what you have given to others. Father, I thank you for the women in our midst women and our families that have given so much to us. I thank you for Rufus's mother and for the many women who have chosen to take that role in our lives, who have guided us, steered us, sat with us, encouraged us. Father, I pray that you would bless them. Let them see your presence within them and that they themselves mirror your image. We thank you for our moms. 
ask all this in Jesus' name.